This morning we're going to be uh, taking a, just a little break from our Luke series so that we can um, think about what is, uh, we just did in the installation of elders and, and deacons. And so if you would turn in your Bible with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is writing from Corinth. He's writing to his young protege, Timothy, his, his disciple. Uh, Paul had been in Ephesus for three years and had planted a church there in Ephesus. And, and then Paul moved on, as he always did. His, his mission and ministry was to plant churches, not be the established pastor of churches. And so uh, Paul leaves and, and leaves Timothy in, uh, in Ephesus to uh, pastor the church there. And so here we have, uh, in 1 Timothy, it really is a, a, a letter of appointment. This is Timothy's commission as a newly installed officer, uh, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so um, you'll find throughout the, uh, the, the, the letter great instruction and a lot of wisdom uh, concerning what Timothy is called to do. But Paul wraps it up here in chapter 6 with a specific uh, charge, and we'll be giving our attention to that. 1, Peter, 1 Timothy excuse me, 6. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 11 and read through verse 16. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained, free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in in unapproachable light, whom no, uh, no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to bless. God in heaven, we believe that all scripture is breathed out by your spirit and is useful, uniquely suited for teaching and rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Train us in righteousness today. Give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, I'm going to be, in, in one sense, directing my words to the uh, elders and the deacons as Paul directs his words here to Timothy. But notice how Paul invites the church to listen in on uh, his instructions to, to young Timothy so that the the church itself would know how to be ordered and established, how to, how to grow, how to be faithful. And so very similar here this morning, uh, these, God has these words for us that we can learn as a church how to live together as the body of Christ, as a family. This, this matters uh, to all of us. Um, being an office bearer in the church is the most serious calling with the most significant responsibility and the most lasting consequences of any calling that uh, you will receive in this life. Uh, Men, I just want to say to you, being an office bearer in the church 
of Jesus Christ is not like anything else that you will ever do. It's not like being on the school board. It's not like uh, serving as a mentor or a coach or holding a political office. It's unlike any other calling precisely because the church is the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ. It is the church of God. So Paul, in Acts 20, speaking to the elders um, of Ephesus, as he meets them in Miletus, says, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Just by the way, if you want a verse that um, to use for your Jehovah Witness neighbors, uh, when they argue that Jesus Christ is not God, you could just go to Acts 20, 28 and, and to show them what Paul uh, says about that, but that's beside the point. Uh, the point that we, that we want to just establish is the Church of Jesus Christ is the only organization on earth that's been purchased with his blood, that is specifically being built up by Christ, that's named the Bride of Christ, filled with the Spirit of Christ, and is destined to live forever with Jesus Christ. There's nothing else like it on planet earth. And so here in uh, 1 Timothy... Paul gives to his young protege this commission, this charge, as, as Timothy takes over leadership in the church. Um, and so we're going to be looking at Paul's words and receiving it both for our elders and deacons, but also then, um, again, as I said, for the congregation as a whole. I want you to first to note uh, that Paul speaks of Timothy's identity. But as for you, O man of God, and uh, every word in that little phrase matters the first few words, but as for you, are um, words of distinction. Uh, Paul has been talking about false teachers, in a sense, throughout the, uh, the letter. If you notice, if you have your Bible, just flip back to chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. As I, verse 3, as I urged you when I was going uh, to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Uh, that's where, how the letter begins. And Paul uses this little phrase, as for you, in, in his letters, to distinguish between a true gospel ministry and a false gospel ministry. You, you see it in 2 Timothy 3, uh, where Paul says, evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. Again, in 2 Timothy, uh, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. As for you, always be sober-minded, uh, endure suffering, and do the work of, a, of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And so Paul uses these words, as for you, to, to, to say um, there is such a thing out there as false teachers, uh, false leaders, and um, you are to be markedly distinct and distinguished. You're to be something completely other than that. You're to look uh, the manner and the motive 
uh, is completely is completely different. There should be something about true gospel ministry that has has markers that are distinct from the uh, the false teachers with their false motives and their false ministries. But notice, secondly, uh, not just a distinction, but a but a wonderful definition. You, O oh man of God. Timothy, if you remember, was, a, was a, a boy who was raised in a believing home. He had the, the, uh, the word of God was, was, was read to him in the synagogues. Uh, he was raised with an understanding, knowledge of Old Testament scripture. Paul says, remember the things you learned. And uh, Timothy knows that that phrase, O man of God, is a phrase that was reserved in the Old Testament for the greatest leaders. Uh, Moses was called a man of God in Deuteronomy 33.1. Samuel is called a man of God. Elijah, Elisha, David. The, the cream of the crop, the, 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 the movers and shakers, the, the, the men who did amazing things and spoke on behalf of God with great power, they were called men of God. It was reserved for those men. And, and Paul now takes this amazing title of great... Uh, distinction, this, this wonderful identity, and he just pins it on Timothy. Now, why would he do that? Well, first of all, because it's true. Uh, remember when Jesus said to his disciples that John the Baptist was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, and then Jesus says this amazing thing, but the, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. That there are privileges that belong to New Testament Christians that the Old Testament saints did not know. Greater spiritual privileges, greater spiritual access. Nobody could go into the holy place. And we, through the blood of Christ, are invited into the holy of holies. Greater spiritual power and understanding. God has revealed himself to us in a way he did not to the Old Testament saints. We get to call God our Father, a term of incredible intimacy that, that the vast majority of Old Testament saints would not have considered uh, using. We've received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So there's a, there is a richness, a fullness to New Testament Christians, for New Testament Christians, that Old Testament saints uh, were not privileged to enjoy. They were looking, longing, trying to see when the time was coming. Who, who, who is this one, this Messiah figure they, they see, this suffering servant they read about in Isaiah? Well, Timothy now, as a leader then of the New Testament church, he's rightfully designated a man of God. Paul gives him the title because it rightfully belongs to him. But I want you to think about how, what a blessing that would be. Identity is critical. How you think of yourself, how you define yourself, what you allow to define you, it has a profound difference in how you're going to live your life. I think one of the, one of the um, I'll, go on, I'll be on a little bit of thin ice here, maybe with some of you, but I believe that by um, the Reformed churches have unfortunately managed to so um, ingrain 
the doctrine of sin into the congregation in terms of you're born in sin, uh, you, you, you always do sin. Uh, we've, the, the text in Isaiah, your, your, your righteousness is as filthy rags, has been uh, inappropriately applied to the, the acts of love and obedience and service that God's people do offer up by the grace of God. And so that there's, uh, there's an identity um, as sinner, which is appropriate, but, but the, the true identity is sinners saved by grace. Sinners made new creations. Sinners raised up and seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Sinners who are the adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. That's going to matter. If you simply think of yourself as a, a sinner, a failure... Um, you are not going to enjoy the riches of the full gospel truth for you. Well, think about young Timothy. He is, um, he's got a lot on his plate. If you read the chapter, he, he's responsible to rebuke uh, false teachers, charging them not to teach false doctrine any longer. He's, um, he's got to order the church. He's got to identify and train up new leaders, verse 3. He's got to be uh, overseeing a ministry of mercy. If you look at uh, chapter 5, teaching young widows uh, that they don't get to be on the list. I mean, there's some serious personal relational stuff that needs to happen. You're telling people if you don't work, you don't eat. This is, this is, this is not easy. And, and Timothy could have easily thought, who do you think I am? He is, the, he is the pastor of the one Christian church in the town of Ephesus. He's this little island in an ocean of paganism. The, the nearest religious neighbors he has are the Jews who worship at the Jewish synagogue, and they hate him. He has no friends, right, in the community. He doesn't get to go to pastor's fellowship and, and share their mutual woes. He doesn't get to do that. He's all by himself. He needs to know who he is. He needs to understand his identity. Men, if you've thought seriously about the calling as, that's been laid on you as elders and deacons, uh, there ought to be a certain amount of apprehension. Because elders, Christ has called you to shepherd the sheep that he bought with his own blood. He's called you to take care of his bride. You think, you think Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, cares for his bride. He cares deeply for his bride. Christ has called you to nourish and take care of his children. And, and that's going to involve wisdom and courage and patience and love that are beyond your natural possession. You will, you will routinely feel like you're in over your head. You will feel unqualified, at least if you're doing it right. You'll feel like, um, how did I get here? Why did they elect me? Deacons, the same is true for you. You've been called to minister the mercy of Jesus Christ. You are not just another organization like the many organizations uh, that work in social fields uh, in the world. You minister the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus Christ for the glory of Christ. That's what you do. It's a profoundly high calling, and it will involve challenging situations where you have to make hard decisions and use spiritual wisdom, that, again, that's beyond your ability. And you'll have to bear with people and, and, and try, to, try to help people grow in godliness and think about stewardship and go beyond just our little, our, our little circle, and we see a world of brothers and sisters in Christ who, who need our help. 
And, and how do we move in that? So it's going to take all kinds of, of wisdom and courage. And you're going to feel overwhelmed. But you need to remember who you are. you are. You are men of God, called by God, gifted by God, in your ordination and installation, set apart by the Spirit of God to this work. When God calls, he equips. And so take up the office then with that encouragement, with that confidence. God's not going to let you down as you look to him. So that's, first of all, identity. Secondly, calling. And there are several things here that Paul mentions, and we'll just go through them in order. Uh, notice first, flee and pursue, this idea of personal holiness. Timothy, he says, as for you, man of God, flee these things. Well, what, these, what are the these things that Paul's referring to? Well, we, we could have read them. I'll read them now. Verses 3 and following in chapter 6, right in, uh, before our text. He says, teach and uh, urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound doctrine uh, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And then he talks about those who want to be rich and the temptations they fall into. Those are the, these things Paul's talking to. He says, Timothy, run from that sort of ministry. A ministry where you're uh, divisive and proud and quarrelsome and causing friction in the body of Christ. There are, you see, particular um, dangers that come with being a leader. You have opportunities to cause division. You, you, you can have a quarrelsome spirit where, you, where people who have like-minded uh, quarrelsome spirits will come to you and they'll find an ally in you and, and, and think that in that they can have some advantage in directing the church the way they want it to go. That's just reality. But, but you see, leaders um, have this ability to do all these things that, that Paul talks about here. To be divisive, to be um, proud, conceited, domineering, um, uh, lording it over the people of God by commanding their conscience in a certain way that's not, um, that isn't rooted in the word of God. Those are the temptations you'll face. How do you resist them? Well, it's what you're running after. Pursue righteousness. That's how you live in front of people, the integrity of your relationships, the charity that you, that you manifest and how you deal with people. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness, which is a heart passion for God, for his will, his ways, a love for his church, seeking his glory and everything. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith and love and steadfastness. It's very similar to faith, hope, and love, Paul's famous trilogy of the fruit of the Spirit. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, steadfastness, which is rooted, you see, um, in hope. If you're steadfast, it's because you understand that whatever difficulty and trial or um, issue you got to work through here, that's just part of a process uh, that God has called us to walk, and the end of it is really good. And we're going to get there. 
And I might differ with my brother here. I might have a a struggle with a sister here. But we're on a journey that God has called us to. And if we hang together and love each other and go to the Word together, uh, we can have patience and long-suffering because God is the one who's called us to this. God is at work sanctifying us. And the end is really, really good. Hope creates steadfastness in every relationship of your life. Gentleness. Pursue that. Patience and kindness. God's leaders are to be noteworthy for gentleness. And the only way, guys, that we're going to grow in this, the only way congregation will grow in this is with intentional pursuit. This doesn't just happen to you as you kind of blase, live a blase, uh, passive Christian life. These got to be things that we pray for. It's got to be things that we say, we, we encourage each other in. I don't want to, I don't want to be um, uh, like these guys here. They're, they're, I don't want to have conceit. I don't want to have, have a divisive, quarrelsome nature. I want, I want these things to be at work in my life, and I need you to pray for me for that. We need to help each other in this. It just takes intention. And so uh, men who are called here to be leaders, whether it's in the church or in the home, let me just particularly charge you to make your personal godliness the highest priority as you go about the calling that God's given to you. Pursue it. So that's the first thing. Second, contend. Contend in the noble contest of the faith. Faith, Fight the good fight of the faith. If you know in your, in your New Testament, you'll see that the, the, the writers will use Olympic games as an analogy, word pictures. And so we hear about the race that we're called to run. Let's run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Let's run so as to get the prize. We're on a marathon, and we just need to keep going. Um, don't give up. Keep running. That's the race. It's interesting that Paul here doesn't use that analogy, but another Olympic sport, which is the sport of boxing or wrestling. The Christian life is like running a race. Leadership is like being in a boxing match. I wish I could tell you that wasn't true. It's absolutely true. And it's amazing. God's people can back a punch. Leadership is not for the faint of heart. Pain is involved. The word, the Greek word here is agonizomai. What, what English word might we get from that? The word agony. Agonizomai. Contend. You're in a contest. It's, it's a wrestling match. It's a boxing match. Now, now notice that we're not um, boxing with the sheep. Right? We're, we're contending for the faith against the enemies of the sheep. It's contending for the faith. We're, we're wrestling and, and, uh, and getting in, in, involved, engaged in this thing called contending for the faith. The faith is the whole deposit of divine revelation that we have concerning the nature of God, the reality of his salvation, and what it means then to know him and to live in accordance with him. This is the faith handed down to us from generation to generation, expressed clearly in the pages of Scripture. And and Paul is saying, Timothy, um, contend for this. Contend for this. You're going to have to contend for it because the devil is always contending against it. Sound doctrine and sound Christian uh, obedience and, and love and joy and peace, those things do not just happen by themselves. Sound doctrine doesn't preserve itself. It needs to be defended because it's constantly being challenged. 
And so you see, friends, it's going to take courage to be a leader in the church of Jesus Christ. It takes courage. Courage to stand against popular trends and and be willing to examine them according to the word of God. Courage to stand in the face of unkind and untrue accusations. It's going to take courage to speak the truth of God into people's lives when they're not walking in accordance with it. Particularly, it'll take courage when they don't want to hear about it. And when they maybe um, will, will slander you as just being a legalist or not understanding. It's going to take courage. It's going to take courage to face yourself as a leader. It's going to take courage to acknowledge your own sin. It's going to take courage to acknowledge, uh, confess your own weakness, to admit you don't have all the answers. It's going to take courage to humble yourself when you're wrong and admit that you're wrong. But as you see, all this we do because there's something called the faith that stands outside of us. It's objective, it's real, it's glorious, and it's worth laboring for, it's worth suffering for, it's worth serving the faith and to help God's people maintain and grow in the faith. And, and the, the reason this matters so much is because life is on the line. Notice Paul immediately goes to take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That Paul hates false teachers, not because he's just a doctrinal purist. He hates false teachers because they put stumbling blocks in front of people, and they destroy the souls of people. And he hates uh, those who cause division and raise quarrels in the church, not just because they're a pain in the neck, but, but he hates them because they are working to destroy what Jesus is building up. And people get lost, you see, in that process. They get lost eternally in that process. People walk away from churches in that process because they say if, if, the, if the gospel is no more true or no more powerful than that, if, if people in the church act just like the people I work with uh, every, every Monday through Friday, if it makes no difference, then what's the point? Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession. And Paul here, when he talks about eternal life, he's not just thinking about long life. He's thinking about real life, the the life that comes from Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, the life that we actually have when we uh, come to Christ in faith and are made alive together with Jesus Christ. When we become a new creation, that's that's the eternal life that we we have. You see, and and, um, because we already possess it, all the charges and commands of the New Testament are now walk in it. Live like you're alive. Live like you, you've tasted what real life really is. Life in communion with God. And so as Paul, you see, charges Timothy, as he begins his leadership of the church in Ephesus, he's, he wants Timothy to be leading God's people in just this thing, taking hold of life, laying hold of the life that he has in Christ so he can lead people into laying hold of the life they have in Jesus Christ. Leadership in the church, contrary to common thought, is not primarily about meetings and budgets and decisions and more meetings. That's not, that's not what leadership is about. 
Leadership in the church of Jesus Christ is primarily about helping people lay hold of the life they have in Christ and calling people to life in Christ. It's helping God's people um, walk in the freedom they have in Christ, free from guilt and free from shame, free from fear, fear uh, free from besetting sins that are, that are wreaking havoc in their life. Calling people to live in the freedom of the life they have in Jesus Christ. It's helping people trust in him and love him and get on, on board with his mission in the world. And so, you see, if leaders are going to do that, we got to lead by doing it ourselves. We lead by laying hold of eternal life and then calling the, the congregation to follow as, as we do this. Calling others to joyfully do the same. Parents, this is your calling in your home. Your, your calling is not to make your kids moral. It's not to keep them in line. It's not just to make them good kids. You, you want your children to live to know eternal life, not just to be saved in some sort of shallow, plastic way, but, but to have an authentic, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ where they trust in him as Lord and Savior. How are you going to do that if you're not pursuing it? If you're not saying no to things and yes to things because you are laying hold of eternal life that you have in Jesus Christ. That's what leadership is. And it, it matters because... Because the Lord is coming back. And that's how Paul ends. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, keep the commission unstained, free from reproach, until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how he ends. I charge you, Timothy. In the presence of God. Paul's a great apostle. But he wants Timothy to understand this charge comes from, the, uh, from God himself and is given in the presence of God. And, and Timothy will not answer to Paul on the last day. He'll answer to the great commissioning officer, God himself. As Paul pins the stripes of leadership on young Timothy, he does so in the sight of God. Timothy, this is God's call. It's God's charge. And officers, elders, and deacons, I want to remind you of the same. A harvest church did not give you a charge today. God himself has laid on you a calling. And we will answer to him. Keep the commission unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most sobering things about being an office bearer in the church of Jesus Christ. Of course, this is true about being a Christian as well. But particularly for office bearers is that office bearers have the unique ability to shame the name of Christ. To bring reproach upon the church. We have the unique ability to do that precisely because of the responsibility that's been given to us. One of the, one of the best prayers you can offer uh, as an elder or deacon or for your elder or deacon is, uh, Lord, do not let me stain the name of Jesus Christ. Don't let me bring reproach upon the bride of Christ. Keep the commission, men, unstained, free from reproach. Doesn't mean... Don't sin, you will sin. But walk in the gospel. Live in the gospel. Lead with the gospel. And desperately lean upon the Holy Spirit to keep you from staining the name of Christ. Until, Paul says, just keep doing this until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So ministry in the church and, and the Christian life has always lived under, you see, the, the banner, Jesus is coming again. 
Uh, when Peter gives his charge in 1 Peter chapter 5 to elders and deacons, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Man, I just want you to remember that. When the meetings get long, when the decisions are hard, when the, um, the engagement that you've had with a, with a member of the church didn't go well, and you're not sure how to move forward, or, or, or you're just deeply disappointed in, in what's happening, and, and maybe deeply disappointed in your own, in your own service. Would you just, just remember that we're on a journey, Jesus is returning, he's called you, he, he knows you're not qualified, right, in many ways, he knows you're weak, he knows what we're made of, and yet Christ has called us, Christ promises to, to bless us, and he promises to reward us. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's, a, that's, that's the greatest um, promise that we could possibly have as we lead the church of Jesus Christ. And for you again, then the congregation. Remember this for your life. This is just for officers. Life is flying by 60 seconds a minute. The future is rushing towards us. And one day it's going to come to a screeching halt, this, this, the history of this world, and the heavens are going to bust open and Jesus Christ himself is going to descend. And so let's live our life with that in view. Think about the things that you are stressed about today. Think about the things that you are um, so, so eager about, so anxious about. Think about the things that you um, fear losing just put it all in front of that great day and pray that, that Jesus Christ will help you then to keep the charge that you have in your life to follow, to follow after him, to live a life that, that reflects the truths that we say that we believe. This is for all of God's children. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn, A Charge to Keep Have I, A God to Glorify. A never-dying soul to save and fitted for the sky to serve the present age my calling to fulfill. Oh, may it all my powers engage to do my master's will. We got one life. We're called to serve this age. Let's use all our powers to that end. May Jesus bless it. Amen. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you for your church. I thank you for officers, for elders and deacons. I thank you for the faith that's been handed down to us. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful in our day. We could so easily, through carelessness, through um, a lack of courage, through worldliness, we could just lose hold of it, and it would not get passed down to the next generation. We would have no impact on our community. For the name of Christ, we would, we would be a cause for the world to blaspheme the name of Christ. Unless, Lord, you keep us, unless you build us up, unless you more and more make us uh, vibrate with eagerness and anticipation about the glory of Jesus Christ and the day of his return. So, Father, we, we thank you that this is the work that you promised to do as we look to you. And, Lord, today we look to you. I, I pray again for our officers. I pray, Lord, for the men of this church, that we would be leaders in truth in our homes, in our relationships. We would love our wives well, that we would love our children and raise them in the Lord, that they would uh, see us laying hold of eternal life. I pray for the, the wives and for the women of this church. I pray for the, the, the daughters of Christ here at Harvest, that they too would be 
a thrill to be followers of Christ Jesus and serving him in all the ways that you've given to them and, and doing it with joy and confidence in you. Thank you so much for the spiritual strength that we see uh, so often displayed in uh, our sisters in Christ here at Harvest. Father, we, we want to be a church that's growing in the things of God, that's being built up and established, rooted deeply in the love of God and that we bear fruit then for the glory of God. Please give us that joy. In Jesus' name, amen.